to step into the future that God has for you, you have to be willing sometimes to step out of your comfort zone. To step into something new in your life, you sometimes have to be willing to step away from something old. And I believe that as we're seeking God um, for His direction today, many of you, God's going to call you to start something new, uh, to go in a new direction, to make a change, to make a shift, to maybe rebuild something in your life that, that fell apart and broke. Um, it might be to start school. Uh, it might be to fix a relationship that you're in. It might be to work on your marriage. Uh, it might be to overcome an addiction that you've been trying to, to overcome for a long time, but you just can't shake it. Um, start a new job. Start a ministry. Attend a small group. I don't know what it is for you or what it's going to be, but to take steps toward your destiny by being willing to step away from your security. And I'm going to say a couple of things right up front that seem kind of obvious, but I want to say them because they're very true. And the challenge is, for so many people, it's often the start that stops us. It's the start that stops them. And, you know, today, when we look at stuff, we see before and after photos, right? We see both of them together. And so we see that, well, she was 280 pounds, and now she's 104, and she's a size 2, and she looks great. And we see, we hate her and we love her, but we see the beginning and the end. We don't see all the stuff that happened in the middle. We don't get to see that. We just see the before and after, and so the start often stops us. We don't know how to get there. We want to be where that person is. We want to get through this thing or make that change or make that shift, but we don't see the in-between part of how do we actually take the steps to get there. We ask God for the end result. We, we pray for the end result. We, walk, we, we, we think we're going to walk toward the end result, but we ignore the process that's in the middle. And, and that's one of the greatest mistakes we can make. And I'm going to say this. I've said this before too, but you will never, ever finish something that you don't start. And some of us, we think, well, why am I not making this happen? Or why is this change not happening in my life? It could be that you're wanting the finish, but you're not willing to start. And you're not willing to just take a step in the direction that, that you're feeling led to go. And so for the final week of this series, um, I'm kind of just praying that God will give some of you the faith to just start in a new direction and just to take a step. And, and to do it, um, we're going to look at Nehemiah in the Old Testament. So let me give you a little bit of the backstory. We like to do this here because some of you might not have grown up in church. This could even be your first time. Some of you that grew up in church, you might not know the backstory of Nehemiah. So let me share it with you. The backstory of, of Nehemiah is that God basically told his people, I want you as my people to obey me, and I want you to worship me. Unfortunately, they did not obey him, and they did not worship God. And so God allowed, in that time in history, the Babylonians to come in and destroy and demolish everything that mattered to these people. So they wiped out the temple, they destroyed the wall, they burned most of the city, they took God's people into captivity and made them slaves. 140 years later, you can imagine how long that is, 140 years a remnant of these people finally goes back to their homeland that was destroyed by the Babylonians to say, it's time to start rebuilding the city. We want to rebuild the wall. They're discouraged, they're embarrassed, they're humiliated, um, and things are not going anywhere until suddenly God gives one man, just one guy, Nehemiah, he gives him what we're going to call a God-given burden. A God-given burden. So he looks on from another city far away, and he feels like this is a problem. Somebody needs to do something about it. Maybe it should be me. So I'm going to walk in this new direction. I'm going to try to rebuild what was destroyed and taken from us because this is not okay with me. I'm not going to allow it anymore. And as long as I'm alive, I'm not going to stand for this. I need to take some steps to rebuild. And I love that phrase, God-given burden. Some of you, you have one, and, and maybe you don't even know it. 
but there's something inside you, there's something in your heart and your soul that is a God-given burden. It's something that burdens you. It's something that concerns you and, and really takes energy from you. And uh, it's something in your life where you look at it, whether it's big or small, and you say, you know what, I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with the direction this is heading. I'm not okay with, with what I'm seeing in the future or what's, what's in front of me. And so someone actually needs to do something about it. And instead of just letting this path continue, it might as well be me. I need to step out and actually take some action. And I've seen it over and over again, this God-given burden thing. My wife, Amy, she has a God-given burden for women in the church who might be struggling with, um, with their marriage or with their parenting or even with maybe trying to make a decision um, in life, in some area of their life where they're feeling like, I don't know which way to go. She has a burden for those women. And so she regularly spends time with those women and loves on them and invests in them. And, and she spends quite a bit of time um, with those ladies. And, you know, that's such a need in our world. And it's such a need in our church um, that anytime she comes to me and says, babe, I need to spend some time with a, with a woman in the church and invest in her, um, I'll watch both kids all night if that's what it takes because that's a huge impact. It's a huge impact. And she's having an influence in that area. There's another woman in our church. She has such a God-given burden to help women who are in transition. So she's constantly helping women who are getting out of jail or getting out of prison or coming off meth or coming out of prostitution. And these women just flock to her. And God just brings them to her. And then she invests time in them. And I've seen these women turn around 180 degrees because of the time that this, this woman spent with her. How did that happen? How did that start? It's because God gave her a God-given burden for those women. And she didn't just let it burden her forever. She said, you know what? This is a burden of mine. I see this need. God's telling me something. Someone needs to do something about it. May as well be me. I'm not going to just sit around and wait for somebody else to do it. God-given burden. So in a way, your God-given burden, what he puts inside you in that way or what he reveals to you, maybe even today, is what's going to lead you in a God-given direction. Some of you are asking the question, what direction am I supposed to walk in life? What decisions am I supposed to make? What choices am I supposed to make? Listen to your God-given burdens first. Think about that. What is the thing that your heart aches for on behalf of God? Because often God will reveal something that he wants you to do. So I don't know what it might be for you. It might be that you're a man who used to struggle with pornography. And it was an addiction and it, and it put you in chains. And it's not a healthy thing and we all know that. But you've broken free of it. And so now you feel led. There's this God-given burden for other men who are walking through that to spend some time with those men and help them break free. That's a God-given burden where you're going to say, somebody needs to do something about this. I'm going to help. I'm going to jump in and I'm going to do something to help in this area. The God-given burden reveals a God-given direction. You might look around our city or, or our world and see that there's countless children who don't have families of their own. They don't have homes of their own. And you might think, well, that's a burden of mine, but there's no way that I can foster all of those kids or adopt all those kids. Yeah, but you could do one. Maybe you could do one and just start somewhere. A, a pastor I respect a lot once said, you can't do what you feel called to do for everybody you feel called to do it for, so do what you wish you could do for everybody for one and just start somewhere. And, and this is what happened to Nehemiah. He kind of had this, this Popeye the Sailor Man moment. You guys remember Popeye the Sailor Man? He had this line that he said where he says, I can't stand it no more. And he, he, he eats a spinach, his muscles pop up, and then he goes and he beats up the bad guys. It's awesome. And so some of you need to eat your spinach, let your shirt pop open a little bit, and actually take some, some steps in a new direction and take some action. So the question is, what do, you, what do you do when you have this kind of burden? And what's interesting to me, when you look at Nehemiah as a person, as a character, 
he was one of the, the least qualified people to take on this task. Uh, there was nothing in his background or in his skill set that said he was going to be the guy to go rebuild this wall at the city that was destroyed. There's nothing. If you don't know, Nehemiah's job, what he did for a living, his career, was he was a cupbearer. If you didn't know this, a cupbearer is not a contractor. A cupbearer is not a mason, mason worker. A cu- cupbearer is somebody that for their job, what they did was they would take a sip of wine before the king took a sip of wine. And you think, well, that's an awesome job. I get to sample the quality of the wine every day. No, the reason that the cupbearer would take a sip of the wine is to check if it was poisoned before the king did it. And so then if the cupbearer dies after sipping the wine, that would be a very good indication that the king should pass on that glass of wine. (laughs) That's what a cupbearer did. This was Nehemiah's job. And so he's a guy that um, doesn't seem to be prepared at all. He doesn't have the skill set, but he has this burden that's given to him by God, wondering... Who am I to do something about this? I'm not qualified. I'm not going to be able to go rebuild this wall. There's no way. I don't seem to be that prepared, but God gives me a burden and he gives it to me because he trusts me to do something about it. So what do you do? What do you do when God gives you a burden and you feel called to step out and do something about it? What's the answer? And so let's look at it. The first thing that Nehemiah did was he took it to God. He took the burden to God. And that's something that a lot of us skip. You know, we, we claim to pray about stuff that we feel like we're being led toward, but do we really? Do we really give it to God and ask for his guidance in those situations in our life? I think sometimes we're wondering which direction to head, and we act like we pray, but we've never actually given it to God. And that's the first thing that he did. It's the first thing we should do. So he took it to God. He got down on his knees, and he prayed this powerful prayer, and I'm just going to kind of summarize it for you. We're not going to read the whole thing, but you can find it in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5. And I'll just give you the high points. And this prayer he prayed to God, it's just so moving to me. He basically says, Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God, let your ear be attentive to the cries of my heart. Okay, so he's getting God's attention. He says, I confess our sins, including my own God. So he's taking ownership first, coming clean. We've acted wickedly toward you. And then he says, he reminds God, not because God forgot, but because it's It's a biblical thing to remind God of his faithfulness because it reminds us of his faithfulness. He says, remember the promises you gave your people, God, and grant your servant success as I go before the king today. I love this. So so what's the first thing that you do when you feel like God's moving you in a new direction or making a shift in your life? You give it to him. You take it before God. You take it before the king in prayer. So then he says, God, give me favor before the king. He goes before the king and he says to the king, Sire, I know this sounds crazy, um, but I have this God-given burden to travel 850 miles <laughs> to Jerusalem. I know I'm just a cupbearer, but I want to try to start this project to rebuild the walls of my old city in Jerusalem that's been torn down um, and reestablish the reputation of God before the nation there. Would you give me this favor, king? <laughs> and the king releases him. The king is moved by the heart of God, and he says, yes, go. He lets him go. And so it brings us to the question, how do we... As a Jesus follower with a God-given burden, how do we do something big? How do we do something big in our lives or for God? And, and, and you can define that in a lot of different ways uh, to qualify what something big would be. But basically what I'm saying is how do you do something significant in your life? So it might be something big like you feel led to start a woman's home and so you start walking toward that. Or maybe you want to lead a life group or a small group and you start walking toward that. Um, 
perhaps uh, paying off your student loans. That's a big thing for some of you. Or, or doing a men's ministry or, or uh, be, becoming a godly husband and father, which you haven't done up to this point. Maybe that's the thing you need to do. When I talk about big, I'm talking about anything that God calls you to do and leads you toward that is significant to the heart of God. That's a significant shift. And for so many people, again, it's the start that stops them because they never start to begin with. And you never finish something that you don't start. So thought number one, if you're taking notes, is this. How do you start something big and significant? Number one, you start small. You start small. I love this imagery in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, where the text says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. So don't, don't despise, don't be embarrassed by your small start. Don't, don't, don't be discouraged by taking one small step toward the thing that God's called you to do and be ashamed of starting something small because what does the Lord do? Watch this. The Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Some of us go through our whole life without actually beginning the work that he's called us to do and beginning the shifts and the changes that he wants us to make. He rejoices simply when you begin. And, and to me, the perfect analogy of this is, is, for those of you, how many of you have kids? Whether they're grown or not, you have kids? So, how did that feel when you saw your child take their first steps growing up? For me, one of them's done it, one of them hasn't yet, but it was incredible. And it's so crazy to me because they're doing what we call the drunk Frankenstein, and they're just taking their first steps, and what do we do? We go, ah, that's amazing, and we get so excited about it, and then they fall, and do we respond when they fall by saying, oh, you stupid, pathetic, dumb kid? No, we pick them back up, we set them up, and then they start doing it again. And then we go, ah, and we get excited and we cheer them on. And they're not doing anything that big, but they're taking steps in the right direction. Step by step by step, they take another step. And so when God, our Father, gives us a burden and we start to take steps in the right direction, even though we haven't finished the project yet, but we're taking steps and you don't understand the details like we talked about last week, but suddenly you have the faith to at least do the drunk Frankenstein and take some steps. God's going, ah! And he's rejoicing because you're letting the work begin. You're starting the work, which is a big deal because most people don't even start it. And, and that's a big deal. And So how do you do something big? You start small. In fact, when you think about Nehemiah, um, oftentimes you just hear the story of Nehemiah and you say, okay, God gave him a burden to rebuild the wall. He rebuilt the wall project finished. It was that easy. It wasn't that easy. You're missing the whole story. What's interesting is if you go back to the very end of this story and you trace back all the small steps between when the wall was built and when he got the God-given burden to actually build the wall, here's what you see. At the very end, they built the wall. If you go back a step, what did they do? They worked their tails off. If you go back a step from that, it says that they worked with a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other hand to fight off the opposition because be sure it's going to come when you're rebuilding something for God. If you go back another step, they're working their tails off again. If you go back another step, someone had to have the courage to put down the first stone and actually start the project. You go back another step and you'll see Nehemiah rallying the people who didn't believe that this could possibly be done. He's saying, fight for your brothers, fight for your sisters, fight for your God. He motivates the people. If you go back a step before that, you see him investigating by night, taking notes. How is this going to work? Can we do this project? What's it going to look like? Where do we do it? All this stuff. You go back again, you see him waiting three days. If you go back again, you see him traveling 850 miles, most likely on the back of a donkey, which is why he waited three days. And if you go back before that, what did he do? Well, he had to pack his bags. 
he had to pack his toothbrush, pack all that stuff in the bag before he left. And, and so if you want to do something big, what do you do? You have to simply start somewhere. You, you have to start small. Have the faith to start small. This is what Nehemiah did. Chapter 2, starting in verse 17. So he gathers all the chief officials around, the priests and the nobles, and he says to them, you see the trouble we're in? He says, Jerusalem lies in ruins. This is his burden, okay? He says, its gates have been burned with fire. And then watch what he does. Come, let's rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and we'll no longer be in disgrace. I told them all about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king said to me, and they replied, let's say it aloud, let us start rebuilding. So they begun this good work. And what did God do? He rejoiced to see the good work begin. Simply to see it start. So how do you do something significant? How do you make a shift? How do you make a change? How do you start something new? You have the faith to start small. And what's interesting is Nehemiah didn't know all the details. Remember last week? God doesn't show you every detail of what's coming in the future. You don't get to see that. As much as we'd like to, he doesn't show us all the details. And he didn't know how this was going to play out, but the Spirit prompted him. He knew there was uncertainty, like we talked about last week. And here's a really important point. I don't want you to miss this. You don't actually have to have the faith to finish. You just have to have the faith to start. Because it doesn't matter if you have the faith to finish if you don't ever start. <laughs> so really, you need the faith to start is what you need. And that's what so, so many people lack. And I hope this speaks to somebody because you don't have to know all the details. You don't. God won't give you all the details, but he is going to lead you in a direction and you take a step. And you don't have the faith to finish, you just have to have the faith to start. And this is a really emotional message for me because when, when I was putting this together, I'm coming from 18 years of experience in, in, in serving in church ministry and, 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 and 12 of those years as a lead pastor. And so I want to go back to when I was 27 years old when I was just about to marry Amy and dreaming about planting a church that would reach people in this city right here where we are that maybe weren't being reached by anybody else. Who are the people that aren't being reached and how do we reach them and how do we lead them to Jesus? And I want to see how that, that plays out. And so I had this God-given burden to walk in this new direction in my life which was scary and which was insecure and, and uncomfortable, but I walked in it. But the question that was in my mind at that time in my life was, how in the world do you start a church? That, that, I, don't, I don't see the answer to that. How do you start a church? I don't know, 27 years old, I don't really know much. And so me, my parents, my then fiance, who's now my wife, um, and some friends, 10 of us, we got together and we said, we're going to start a church, us 10 people, <laughs> from nothing. So where do we start? How do we do this? Well, let's name it. That's the first step. So we came up with a name. Okay, that's easy. Now what do we do? Well, let's, uh, let's make a website so people know how to find us. And the website was awful, guys. But we had one. And, um, and so what's next? Well, um, we're going to gather together and, and teach the word. Because that's what the Bible says to do as the church, is to gather together with other believers and, and teach the word. It makes that very clear. It's a commandment from God. So we're going to do that. Well, um, when are we going to do that? Well, how about Sunday? Sunday sounds like a good time to start a church. Um, where are we going to meet? Um, how about her living room? Okay, we'll meet in her living room. She's got a huge couch that can accommodate maybe up to 15 people so we can grow a little bit. <laughs> that's 50% growth. Um, and then uh, she has a jacuzzi in the backyard we can do our baptisms in. Let's do it. It's perfect. All right, when are we going to start? How about next Sunday? Let's not wait. Let's take one step. So we started gathering. And I remember our first baptisms one year into starting. We had two people signed up, and we baptized 17 people that day. That was 90% of our church got baptized that day. 
let me kind of show you where we started, because some, some of you haven't seen this. So this isn't where we started. I couldn't find pictures that old, but <laughs> this was one of our, our early locations. There's like 30 people there, guys. I mean, th this wasn't really that, that big, right? And you recognize some of those people probably. Worship practice was in our living room. <laughs> we didn't have a building. This was our first baptisms we ever did back there in the jacuzzi. 17 people that day. And this was our group that started the church. And yes, my hair's weird. Um, <laughs> but I was a lot younger. Um, get off that now. Um, but this community center where we met early in, 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 in the church that we planted, um, the city would rent it out for events the night before for parties, and we'd come on Sunday morning, and the floor was all sticky, and it smelled like beer. And our feet would stick to the floor as we're walking through the, the church, and we'd arrive early and set everything up. And now you fast forward to this. Okay, now leading a church of over 600 people that call this church home, um, how do you do something big? How do you do something significant? You start small. And some of you say, well, I don't want to start small. I didn't say think small. Think big. Think big in every area of your life, but you've got to be willing and have the faith to start small or nothing's going to ever happen. Because most people don't get to start big. There's a lot of work that goes into it and step after step after step after step. I had the faith during those years to preach to hundreds of people every weekend at three services. But I had to have the faith to start small and preach to ten. All right? Um, if you go back a little bit before that, if we trace it back, do you know where I first learned to teach? It was at a summer uh, week-long vacation Bible school for a few kids, and I'd teach the lessons to the kids. That's where I started to teach. During my first year as a pastor, I taught a Bible study in this tiny room in the back of New Hope Christian Church, and there were four people that came. Me, Bill the piano player, this girl named Kim, and this guy named John. Okay, so there's five of us, and I, that's, that's what I did for a year. I taught the Bible to them. Didn't get to preach, didn't get to do anything else. How do you start something big and significant? You have to have the faith to start small. Don't let the start stop you, and you because you never finish something, you don't start. And God's going to speak to somebody through this. He's going to speak to somebody, and they're going to start, whatever it is. So what do you do? Number one, you start small. Number two, get ready for it, you take the next step. That sounds so simple and obvious, but yet none of us do it. You take the next step. You start small and you take the next step. This is what Nehemiah did. Chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. So they start to have some opposition in their little building project. Huge building project. So the bad guys show up and, and try to stop them. It says, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked and ridiculed us. Remember last week, predictable resistance? When you're following God, there's going to be resistance. If there's no resistance, you're probably not following God. There's going to be resistance. They're moving in God's direction, and then there's resistance. So he says, what is this you're doing, they asked him. Are you rebelling against the king? Nehemiah said, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. So what do you do? You take the next step. You start small, and then you take the next step. You let God prompt you, you take a step. You let God lead you, you take a step, and the next step, and the next step, and the next step. And over time, that builds up to something big. You don't get to just jump into big right away. So, for example, in your marriage, if your marriage is struggling, you don't get to just have a healthy marriage overnight, even if you pray for it. There's steps you have to take. So you might start small and say, well, I'm going to take one step today to improve my marriage, and then tomorrow I'm going to take this step. And over a year's time... That can grow into a healthy marriage, but it's not going to be overnight. It's not going to be next week. If your marriage is struggling, it's not even going to be next month. 
There's steps you have to take, step after step after step, building it brick by brick by brick. And I don't know who needs to hear this, but there's something that's been on your mind for a long time. There's a shift, there's a change, there's, there's something you need to build or rebuild. I don't know what your wall is. Um, and it doesn't mean you have to start something big necessarily, like we're talking about big, big. It, it, might, be, um, it might be losing 20 pounds is a big thing for you. So literally, your, your start small, your next step might just be, I'm going to take two steps on the treadmill today. I'm going to push the donuts away just one day this week. You know, you start small, whatever that might be for you. Um, it might be that you want to get out of debt because it's a chain around your neck and you hate being in debt because it takes all your income just to try to pay it off. So you try to, you try to start. It's, it's, too, it's too overwhelming, though, to tackle it and get rid of your debt when it's so big sometimes. So what do you do? You start small. You say, all right, I'm going to take this one credit card that I only owe $100 on, and I'm going to start small and just pay that one off. Well, that's even a big project. How am I going to get an extra $100? I don't have an extra $100. Well, don't eat out one time this week. Skip the $5 coffee twice this week. By the end of the month, you're $85 to the $100 goal. Knock out that next one small step, and you're on your way. You've got to start somewhere. You can't just jump into something and say, I'm going to pay off 20 grand in debt tomorrow. It's not going to happen. You have to start small and then take the next step and the next step and the next step. For you, it might be that I just know that I've been listening to God, and he's making it very clear to me that I need to work on my connection with him. I need to work on my intimacy with God, and I need to seek him first. And so, and this is something that I see constantly in the church where people fail at what they set out to do in this area of getting closer to God is they take on this huge thing, and so they say, all right, I'm going to pray two hours a day this whole week. It's not going to happen, guys. You've got to work up to that. It's not going to happen. So how about starting small and saying, I'm going to pray five minutes every morning? See that? And that'll build. Um, I'm going to read the whole Bible this year. 95%, they did a study on this, of people that say they're going to read the whole Bible in a year, don't finish it. But I guarantee you, almost everybody I talk to that opens that app on their phone and just picks one little Bible reading plan, or they say, I'm going to read my Bible two minutes a day, they do it every day for the year. You've got to start small. And guess what? That consistency is going to get you way closer to God than trying to bite off this huge thing that you then quit miserably and fail and never open it again. It's okay to start small. I'm giving you permission. Start small and start walking toward that. How do you become more like Christ? You start small. You pick up a Bible. You start a reading plan just a few minutes a day. You've got to start somewhere. Because, you know, some of us, we talk, we talk the talk, but if you really look at, your, at what you spend your time on in the day, a lot of us, there's no prayer, there's no time in the Word. Wouldn't it be better to do two minutes than to not do any? Yeah, we got to start somewhere. you got to start. So, you know, you do that. And then the next thing you know, you're getting closer to God, and then the next thing you know, you're joining one of the life groups, and then all of a sudden you're serving on a team here at Rise, or you're impacting kids, or you're doing that, and then all of a sudden you're wearing the Rise t-shirt, and you're one of us. Oops, how'd that happen? <laughs> you started small, you took a step, you took a next step, and you didn't let the start stop you. There's a quote by St. Francis of Assisi, and here's what he said. He said, start doing what's necessary, then do what's possible, and suddenly you're doing the impossible. You don't get to do the impossible right off the bat. There's a process. Start by doing what's necessary, then move to what's possible, and then suddenly you're doing the impossible. This is what Nehemiah did. A God-given burden revealed his God-given direction, God, give me favor as I step out. Give me favor with the king as I approach him. Pack the bag, put the toothbrush in there, get on the donkey, step by step by step by step until the wall was rebuilt. 
And what's miraculous is, um, if you don't know the story, they built this wall, this huge wall, in 52 days. And experts will tell you that in that era, that is a miracle, that anybody could build that kind of wall, take on this level of construction project and finish it in 52 days without the tools that we have today. It's near impossible, and yet they did it. It's quite a feat. And we look at that and we go, all right, project complete, they did it. No, that was just a starting point. There's always a next step. You've never arrived. After they rebuilt the wall, they had to rebuild the city, they had to rebuild the economy, they had to get the agriculture going, rebuild families. That's why we didn't call this series New Destination, because you never arrive. You're always just walking in a direction that God leads you and getting closer and closer in that direction. That's the goal. That's becoming more like Jesus. So we move in the direction that Jesus is calling us in. And suddenly when you do one more thing, it leads to another thing, and it leads to another thing, and it leads to another thing, and all of a sudden, there's a church. Or all of a sudden, there's a marriage worth living for. Or all of a sudden, whatever it is for you, you're building it brick by brick by brick. Who knows what's on the other side if you just start taking steps? Who knows what's on the other side of just one first step of obedience? Because a lot of us, we don't even take the first step and start, and then we wonder why we're not getting anywhere. And we wonder why there's no progress. And that's why I love Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. It says, Do not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time, not always our time, right? At the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. There's an if there. Somebody needs to hear this again. Do not grow weary at doing good. Take another step and another step and another step in the right direction. Start it, start it, start it. It's in you. Walk in that direction. Do not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up and throw in the towel and quit on it. I'll never forget what uh, one of my mentors said to me years and years ago. (laughs) He said, Jared, if you're really going to serve full-time in the church one day, you need to understand that there will be times where God breaks you. And it's like, thank you very much. That's very encouraging. I think I'll continue. But he was right. He was right. And then he said, Jared, you will very likely underestimate, excuse me, you will very likely overestimate what God is going to do through you in a short amount of time. And that couldn't have been more true. Because when we started a church um, years ago, I told those 10 people that if I wasn't a full-time pastor and we didn't have a building within two years, I was going to (laughs) quit. which is a dumb thing to say. I overestimated what God was going to do in a short period of time. Because how God typically works through us and in us is brick by brick by brick. And here's the part that I don't want you to miss. And here's another thing that he said to me. Do not underestimate what God can do through you through a lifetime of faithfulness. Not a day of faithfulness, but day after day after day after day for years. And God will do the impossible. Don't underestimate. I'm saying this to you now. Do not underestimate what God can do through you if you give him a lifetime of faithfulness and consistency and longevity. Don't underestimate that. So, for example, your marriage might be really hard right now. Be faithful anyway. Keep walking in it. You might be frustrated with your kids right now. Be faithful anyway. Don't throw in the towel. 
you might be struggling with the next step or breaking free of something or whatever it is, keep being faithful day after day after day. You might not feel close to God right now. Keep being faithful and you will see progress. Consistency is the name of the game. Be faithful to what God puts on your heart. Step after step after step, brick by brick by brick, and he will build things through you. So Father, we just... We just ask today that you would inspire your people through your word. God, that that many in this room would have the faith to start something big, something significant. Whether it's a project or a change in their life or breaking free of something or improving a relationship. God, I just thank you in advance that years from now, we can look back on this moment and see, oh my gosh, God, you did more than we ever could have imagined when we had the courage to just simply start and take the next step. God, help us to live. Help us to do the things you've called us to do, to become who you want us to be so that we can do what you've called us to do. And we just thank you that your heart drives us, that we would wake up every morning and just ask you the question, what breaks your heart, may it break ours. What matters to you, God, may those things matter to us. May we continue to to walk in the direction of letting go of ourselves and dying to ourselves and embracing what you ask us to do, which is actually to focus on you and others, not ourselves. And God, whenever we want wisdom to know what to do, we thank you that you promise us you'll give it to us when we ask. And so I ask that as people leave this room today and if they feel like they don't have wisdom, God, I pray that their next step where they start is to simply ask you for wisdom. And then after they ask you for wisdom, to be aware and alert that one of the places they get that from is by actually opening your word. To be aware and alert that when you bring somebody into their path that seems to be sharing advice or wisdom with them, that they'll listen closely because when they ask you for wisdom, you're going to deliver in some way. So may they not ignore those moments. And so God, as we hear from you for, for your direction in our lives, Just give us the faith to start in the right direction. And so today, those of you who would say, I want the faith to do what God wants me to do, what he calls me to do, I do want to start. I do want to take some next steps and make some shifts. We're going to pray together. Just lift your hand and let God know that. Just lift it up. I pray, God, that you would convert your God-given burden into action today in our lives. Because, God, you give us burdens, you give us wisdom, you give us your word, and you give us your spirit living within us to give us power for living. But if we don't take steps and take action, those significant things don't always come to fruition. So, God, give us the courage just to take one simple step of faith in whatever area we're struggling with right now or where you've burdened us. Just to start walking in that direction, trusting you that you will lead us exactly to the place that you want us to go.